Jesus, our Savior and Friend. The Book of Luke by John M. Fowler Edited for audio by the Ambassador Group Exploration 9 Jesus, the Master Teacher And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Luke chapter 4, verse 32, New King James Version When Christ came to the earth, humanity seemed to be fast reaching its lowest point. The very foundations of society were undermined. Life had become false and artificial. Disgusted with fable and falsehood, seeking to drown thought, men turned to infidelity and materialism. Leaving eternity out of their reckoning, they lived for the present. As they ceased to recognize the divine, they ceased to regard the human. Truth, honor, integrity, confidence, compassion were departing from the earth. Relentless greed and absorbing ambition gave birth to universal distrust. The idea of duty, of the obligation of strength to weakness, of human dignity and human rights, was cast aside as a dream or a fable. The common people were regarded as beasts of burden or as the tools and the stepping stones for ambition. Wealth and power, ease and self-indulgence were sought as the highest good, physical degeneracy, mental stupor, spiritual death, characterized the age. The book is entitled Education. That quotation is from pages 74 and 75, and the author is Ellen G. White. Against such a background, we can better understand why Jesus taught the things that he did. The Authority of Jesus As a physician and a scholar, Luke was acquainted with the role of authority. He was familiar with the authority of philosophy in Greek scholarship and education. He knew the authority of the Roman law in civil matters and government function. As Paul's traveling companion, he knew the ecclesiastic authority that the apostle commanded with the churches he founded. In other words, Luke understood that authority is at the core of a person's position an institution's role, a state's function, and a teacher's relationship to his or her followers. Having rubbed shoulders with all kinds of authority at all levels of power, Luke shared with his readers that there was something matchless about Jesus and his authority. Born in a carpenter's home, brought up for 30 years in the little Galilean town of Nazareth, Known for nothing great by worldly standards, Jesus confronted everyone with his teaching and ministry. Roman rulers, Jewish scholars, rabbis, ordinary people, secular and religious powers. Luke chapter 4, verse 22, New King James Version, says that Jesus' fellow townspeople marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. 
Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17, also reveal Jesus' authority. And it came to pass, the day after, that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying, That a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea, and throughout all the region round about. He once brought hope to a widow in Nain by raising her dead son to life. The entire town went into a shiver of fear and exclaimed, God has visited his people. The authority of Jesus over life and death electrified not just Nain, but Judea and all the surrounding region. The question is, what kind of authority did Jesus use and demonstrate? Let's find the answer in five references in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples. And he said unto them, Let us go over onto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep, and there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying to one another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and water, and they obey him. Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 37. And Jesus came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. And in the synagogue there was a man, which had a spirit of an unclean devil, and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone! What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him, and heard him not. And they were all amazed, and spake within themselves, saying, What a word is this! For with authority and power he commandeth the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the fame of him 
went out into every place of the country round about. Luke chapter 5, verses 24 through 26. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins, he said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy couch, and go to thy own house. And immediately he rose up before them, and took up that whereon he lay, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Luke chapter 7, verse 49. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And Luke chapter 12, verse 8. Also, I say unto you, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. Luke took time to record, not only for his friend Theophilus, but also for generations to come, that Jesus, through his ministry, had established the uniqueness of his authority. As God in the flesh, he indeed had authority as no one else ever did. Lots of people do things in the name of God, which would then, of course, give their actions a lot of authority. Do you ever say, God led me to do this? Christ's Greatest Sermon The Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7, is often hailed in literature as the essence of Christianity. Luke provides selections of the sermon in Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 49, and elsewhere. Because Luke placed the sermon Immediately after the official choosing of the disciples, some scholars have called it the ordination charge to the twelve, as presented in Luke chapter six, verses twenty through forty-nine. Jesus's sermon begins with four blessings, followed by four woes, and then Jesus outlines other essential characteristics of the Christian way. Let's study Jesus's words. In many of these verses, in Luke chapter 6, you will hear the Amplified Bible. Ask yourself how closely your life embraces these seven principles. Principle 1. The Christian Blessedness. Verses 20 through 22. And solemnly lifting up his eyes on his disciples, he said, Blessed, happy, with life joy and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, apart from your outward condition. And to be envied are you, poor and lowly and afflicted, destitute of wealth, influence, position, and honor. For the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed, happy, with life joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, apart from your outward condition, and to be envied are you who hunger and seek with eager desire now, for you shall be filled and completely satisfied. 
blessed, happy, with life joy and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation apart from your outward condition. And to be envied are you who weep and sob now, for you shall laugh. Blessed, happy, with life joy and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation apart from your outward condition. And to be envied are you when people despise, hate you, and when they exclude and excommunicate you as disreputable and revile and denounce you and defame and cast you out and spurn your name as evil, wicked on account of the Son of Man. How can poverty, hunger, weeping, and being hated lead to blessedness? Principle 2. The Christian's Reason for Rejoicing in the Midst of Rejection Verses 22 and 23 Blessed, happy, with life joy and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, apart from your outward condition, and to be envied are you, when people despise, hate you, and when they exclude and excommunicate you as disreputable, and revile and denounce you, and defame, and cast out, and spurn your name as evil, wicked, on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice, and be glad at such a time, and exult, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is rich, and great, and strong, and intense, and abundant in heaven. For even so their forefathers treated the prophets. Principle 3. Woes to Guard Against Verses 24, 25, and 26 But woe to, alas for you, who are rich, abounding in material resources, for you already are receiving your consolation, the solace and sense of strengthening and cheer that come from prosperity, and have taken and enjoyed your comfort in full, having nothing left to be awarded you. Woe to, alas for you, who are full now, completely filled, luxuriously gorged and satiated, for you shall hunger and suffer want. Woe to, alas for you, who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep and wail. Woe to, alas for you, when everyone speaks fairly and handsomely of you and praises you, for even so their forefathers did to the false prophets. The Four Woes Why should you guard against these? Principle 4 The Christian Imperative Verses 27 through 31 But I say to you who are listening now to me, in order to heed, make it a practice to love your enemies, treat well, do good to, act nobly toward those who detest you and pursue you with hatred. Invoke blessings upon and pray for the happiness of those who curse you. Implore God's blessing favor upon those who abuse you, who revile, reproach, disparage, and high-handedly misuse you. To the one who strikes you on the jaw or cheek, offer the other jaw or cheek also. And from him who takes away your outer garment, do not withhold your undergarment as well. Give away to everyone who begs of you, who is in want of necessities. 
and of him who takes away from your goods? Do not demand or require them back again. And as you would like and desire that men would do to you, do exactly so to them. No command of Jesus is more debated and is considered more difficult to keep than the golden rule of love. The Christian ethic is fundamentally positive, not negative. It does not consist of what not to do, but what to do. Instead of saying, don't hate your enemy, it insists, love your enemy. Instead of the law of reciprocity, tooth for a tooth, the golden rule demands the ethic of pure goodness. Turn the other cheek also. Mahatma Gandhi developed out of the golden rule an entire political philosophy of resisting evil through good and eventually used this principle to win independence for India from British colonialism. Likewise, Martin Luther King Jr. employed the ethic of the golden rule to break the evil of segregation in the United States. Where love reigns, blessedness ascends the throne. Principle 5 the Christian way. Verses 37 through 42. Notice Christ's insistence on forgiveness, liberal giving, exemplary living, and on tolerance. Judge not, neither pronouncing judgment nor subjecting to censure, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and pronounce guilty, and you will not be condemned and pronounced guilty. Acquit and forgive and release. Give up resentment, let it drop, and you will be acquitted and forgiven and released. Give, and gifts will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will they pour into the pouch formed by the bosom of your robe and used as a bag. For with the measure you deal out, with the measure you use when you confer benefits on others, it will be measured back to you. He further told them a proverb. Can a blind man guide and direct a blind man? Will they not both stumble into a ditch or a hole in the ground? A pupil is not superior to his teacher, but everyone, when he is completely trained, readjusted, restored, set to rights, and perfected, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice or consider the beam of timber that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, allow me to take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the beam that is in your own eye? You actor, pretender, hypocrite. First, take the beam out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Principle 6. The Christian Fruit-Bearing Verses 43, 44, and 45 For there is no good, healthy tree that bears decayed, worthless, stale fruit. Nor, on the other hand, does a decayed, worthless, sickly tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known and identified by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, 
nor a cluster of grapes picked from a bramble bush. The upright, honorable, intrinsically good man, out of the good treasure stored in his heart, produces what is upright, honorable, and intrinsically good. And the evil man out of the evil storehouse brings forth that which is depraved, wicked, and intrinsically evil. For out of the abundance overflow of the heart his mouth speaks. Principle 7. The Christian Builder. Luke chapter 6, verses 48 and 49. He is like a man building a house, who dug and went down deep, and laid a foundation upon the rock. And when a flood arose, the torrent broke against that house, and could not shake or move it, because it had been securely built or founded on a rock. But he who merely hears and does not practice doing my words is like a man who builds a house on the ground without a foundation, against which the torrent burst, and immediately it collapsed and fell, and the breaking and ruin of that house was great. Seven Life Principles for the Christian Life Friend, how closely does your life Embrace these seven principles. A new family. Great teachers before and since Jesus have taught about unity and love. But usually it is about love within the parameters of a single group a family defined by the exclusivity of caste, color, language, tribe, or religion. But Jesus broke down the barriers that divide humans and ushered in a new family, one that made no distinction between the usual things that divide people. Under the banner of agape love, unmerited, not exclusive, universal, and sacrificial, Christ created a new family. This family reflects the original, universal, and ideal concept enshrined in the Genesis creation, which states and authenticates that every human being is created in the image of God. As Genesis 1 verses 26 and 27 tells us with these words, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Being created in God's image means that all humankind is created equal before him. Nevertheless, we do differentiate the differences according to our relationships with people. And this was the case with Jesus. He differentiated between blood relatives and those whom he acknowledged as being members of his family. Here is one example. Luke chapter 8, verses 19 through 21 says, Then came to him his mother and his brethren, and could not come at him for the press. 
and it was told him by certain which said, Thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to see thee. And he answered and said unto them, My mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God, and do it. Without in any way minimizing the ties and obligations that bind parents and children, brothers and sisters, within a family, Jesus looked beyond flesh and blood and placed both of them at the altar of God as members of the whole family in heaven and earth. As Paul states in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 15, New King James Version, the family of Christian discipleship ought to be no less close and binding than the ties of having common parents. To Jesus, the true test of family is not blood relationships, but doing the will of God. What do the following texts teach about the walls that Christ tore down in regard to the distinctions that so often divide humans, and often with bad results too? Luke chapter 5 verses 27 through 32. And after these things he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Now when he had ended all his sayings, in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant, who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying, that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and, and my servant shall be healed. For I am also a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, 
I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper, and bade many, and send his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and shewed his lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor, and the maimed, and the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways in hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you, that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go, shew yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. The mission and the ministry of Jesus, his forgiving heart and embracing grace, did not exclude anyone, but included all who would accept his call. His everlasting love brought him in touch with the entire spectrum of society. What are ways that you can be like Jesus in this way? Love Defined, The Parable of the Good Samaritan, Part 1 Of the four Gospels, 
only Luke records the parables of the prodigal son and the good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. The first one illustrates the vertical dimension of love, the extraordinary love of the Father towards sinners. The second one shows us the horizontal dimension, the kind of love that should characterize human life, refusing to acknowledge any barrier between humans, but living instead within Jesus' definition of a neighbor, that all human beings are children of God and deserve to be loved and treated equally. Let's listen to Luke chapter 10, verses 25-28. through 28 and reflect on the two central questions raised. How is each question related to the main concerns of your Christian faith and life? And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And answering, he said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. Let's unpack each question. The lawyer's first question to Jesus, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Note that the lawyer sought for a way to inherit eternal life. To be saved from sin and to enter into God's kingdom is indeed the noblest of all aspirations one can have. But the lawyer, like so many, had grown up with the false notion that eternal life is something one can earn by good works. Evidently, he had no knowledge that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, New King James Version. Jesus' first question to the lawyer What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? During the time of Jesus, it was the custom of prominent Jews, such as this lawyer, to wear a phylactery on the wrist. It was a little leather pouch in which were written some great portions of the Torah including the one that would answer Jesus' question. Jesus directed the lawyer to what was written in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, the very thing that he might have been carrying in his phylactery. Those verses say, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, Thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but shall love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. The lawyer had the answer to his question on his wrist, but not in his heart. Jesus directed the lawyer to a great truth. Eternal life is not a matter of keeping rules but calls for loving God absolutely and unreservedly, and likewise all God's creation, the neighbor to be precise. However, either out of ignorance or out of arrogance, the lawyer pursued the dialogue with another query. 
Who is my neighbor? What outward evidence reveals that you have truly been saved by grace? That is, what is it about your life that shows you are justified by faith? Love Defined The Parable of the Good Samaritan Part 2 But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Luke chapter 10, verse 29, New King James Version An expert in the Jewish law, the lawyer must have known the answer to the question. Although never specifically mentioning the term Second Great Commandment, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 10, explains what not to do and what to do and why. You shall not take revenge or bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The verse we just heard defines neighbors as children of your people. New King James Version. So, instead of providing an immediate answer to the lawyer's question or getting into a theological dispute with him and those observing the episode, Jesus lifts the lawyer and his audience to a higher plane. Jesus tells a true story. Dr. Luke tells us what Jesus told those listening. The story is found in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37. As you listen, keep these questions in mind. What are the key points to this story? And what do they reveal about how we are to treat others? Okay, here is Jesus' story, as told in the Amplified Bible. Jesus, taking him up, replied, A certain man was going from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him of all his clothes and belongings, and beat him, and went their way, unconcernedly leaving him half dead as it happened. Now, by coincidence, a certain priest was going down along that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. A Levite, likewise, came down to the place and saw him, and passed by on the other side of the road. But a certain Samaritan, as he traveled along, came down to where he was. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity and sympathy for him, and went down to him and dressed his wounds, pouring on them oil and wine. Then he set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I myself will repay you when I return. Which of these three do you think proved himself a neighbor to him who fell among the robbers? He answered, The one who showed pity and mercy to him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Notice that Jesus said, A certain man 
fell among thieves. Why did Jesus not identify the man's race or status? Given the whole purpose of the story, why did it matter? It really didn't matter. The priest and the Levite saw the wounded man, but passed him by. Whatever their reasons for not helping, for us the questions are, what is true religion and how should it be expressed? Consider these three Bible verses, also from the Amplified Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But reverently to fear the Lord your God, that is, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your mind and heart, and with all your entire being to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, and to love kindness and mercy, and to humble yourself and walk humbly with your God. And James chapter 1. Verse 27, external religious worship, religion as it is expressed in outward acts, that is pure and unblemished in the sight of God the Father, is this, to visit and help and care for the orphans and widows in their affliction and in need, and to keep oneself unspotted and uncontaminated from the world. Hatred and animosity marked the relationship between Jews and the Samaritans. And by the time of Jesus, the enmity between the two had only worsened, as indicated by these verses. Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 54. Now when the time was almost come for Jesus to be received up to heaven, he steadfastly and determinedly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers before him. And they reached and entered a Samaritan village to make things ready for him. But the people would not welcome or receive or accept him, because his face was set as if he was going to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, observed this, they said, Lord, do you wish us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elijah did? John chapter 4, verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, and a woman, for a drink? For the Jews have nothing to do with the Samaritans. This is why, by making the Samaritan the hero of the story, Jesus brought home his point, in this case, to the Jews, even stronger than it otherwise might have been. Jesus described the Samaritan's ministry in great detail. He took pity. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured oil and wine, carried him to an inn, paid in advance for his stay, and promised to care for any balance on his way back. All of these parts of the Samaritan's ministry together define the limitlessness of true love. The fact, too, that he did all of these to a man who was possibly a Jew reveals that true love knows no frontier.
The priest and the Levite asked themselves the question, What would happen to us if we stopped and helped this man? The Samaritan asked, What would happen to this man if I didn't help him? What is the difference between the two questions? Let's continue exploring. In his life and lessons, Christ has given a perfect exemplification of the unselfish ministry which has its origin in God. God does not live for himself. By creating the world and by upholding all things, he is constantly ministering for others. He maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Matthew 5, verse 45 This ideal of ministry God has committed to His Son. Jesus was given to stand at the head of humanity, that by His example He might teach what it means to minister. His whole life was under a law of service. He served all ministered to all. Thus, he lived the law of God, and by his example showed how we are to obey it. The book is entitled The Desire of Ages. The author is Ellen G. White. You will find those words on page 649. On page 499 of the same book, she states that the parable of the Good Samaritan is not an imaginary scene, but an actual occurrence which was known to be exactly as represented. The priest and the Levite who had passed by on the other side were in the company that listened to Christ's words. Here are several introspective questions. 1. Have you ever heard someone say that they did whatever they did because... God told them to do it? What are ways God talks to you? At the same time, what are the dangers involved in invoking the authority of God in order to justify our deeds? 2. Jesus spoke of four woes in Luke chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. Let's listen to the Amplified Bible. Here's what Jesus said. But woe to, alas for you, who are rich, abounding in material resources. For you already are receiving your consolation, the solace and sense of strengthening and cheer that come from prosperity, and have taken and enjoyed your comfort in full, having nothing left to be awarded you. Woe to, alas for you, who are full now, completely filled, luxuriously gorged, and satiated. For you shall hunger and suffer want. Woe to, alas for you, who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep and wail. Woe to, alas for you, when everyone speaks fairly and handsomely of you and praises you, for even so their forefathers did to the false prophets. How do you understand? What Jesus is saying. 
What is he really warning us to be careful of? Think about the whole question of authority. What is authority? What are different kinds of authority? What kinds of authority trump other kinds of authority? How should we relate to different kinds of authority in our life? And what happens when the authorities over us clash? ambassadorgroup.org This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.